Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to Tatter. Today, the day that I'm finishing this episode, is December 22nd. And that means that at this time of year, even if you celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or yesterday's solstice, the good people who watch Fox and Friends will insist that the one correct way to greet you is Merry Christmas, or perhaps Happy Birthday Baby Jesus. Now, here at Tatter, I try to be more welcoming and supportive of diversity than that, but I did grow up celebrating Christmas, and I still do, and so I've created this first very special Christmas episode of Tatter. Before it begins, I want to remind you, as always, that unless they say otherwise, each person in this episode speaks for themselves and themselves alone. I also want to warn you that this episode contains profanity, and it will puncture yuletide fantasies of young children, so parents be aware. With all that said, here's Tatter. Every December, many of us who celebrate Christmas gather with loved ones in front of a roaring television in order to watch Christmas movies. And that set of films is the focus of this very special Christmas episode of Tatter. This episode addresses the question, what is the best Christmas movie ever? And in taking up that question, this episode also addresses more specific questions, such as whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas film. I've assembled a panel of eight experts, all of whom answered the same multiple-choice question. And that question is, what's the best Christmas movie ever? Is it A, a Christmas story? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Is it B, Die Hard? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Is it C, Elf? You sit on a throne of lies. Or is it D, something else? C, Elf. Really? Why? Yeah, I think it's a discussion whether Die Hard is even a Christmas movie. That's Stuart Flaherty, former men's soccer coach at Bates College and now assistant coach of men's soccer at Dartmouth. And uh, Elf's hilarious. I don't know if there is a uh, notion of the Christmas spirit not incorporated in the excitement of Buddy, and I think we'd all be better people if we saw the world how he did. Are you typically into schmaltzy, sort of saccharine, sappy movies? No. Actually, I'm typically into Will Ferrell movies. (laughs) <laughs> well, that one qualifies as both, in my opinion. And uh, I love Will yeah. Ferrell. But, and, and don't get me wrong, it's a very sweet, uh, charming movie. And I will admit that this grown man cries when he watches it. But Good for you, Michael. It, <laughs> I'm in touch with my emotions. So sorry you put me in an uh, awkward situation here. That's David Pizarro, a psychologist at Cornell University and co-host of the Very Bad Wizards podcast. Because I've been telling everybody that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie. But your question made me actually that's, reflect. That's, that's because it is. That's because it is. But go ahead. <laughs> Well, your question made me reflect a bit more on it. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just being, you know, like a, like a hipster douchebag and contrarian. And... Um, and making the argument just to get people to watch Die Hard with me because it is a great movie. And yeah. if I had to watch one of those movies, 
I would pick Die Hard. But I think I have to go with a Christmas story. And I'll tell you why. Okay, so when thinking about what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie, like a quintessential Christmas movie, I think there are themes that kind of have to be there. And the themes sometimes involve family and kindness and generosity and all those things. But the number one reason why I think a Christmas story is a great Christmas movie is because it captures a theme or a sentiment, maybe more appropriately, um, that is so, so important to the Christmas experience. And that is just fundamental disappointment. Like it captures that from the eyes of a child, what it's like to have sort of perhaps a dysfunctional family around you, perhaps a normal family. that's just annoying. Um, to really, really want something for Christmas and have everybody tell you that you're, you're dumb for wanting it and you're not going to get it. And to get something and be so completely disappointed by it. You know, it was this idea of plenty, this idea of... That's Damien S. Wilburn, a storyteller and host for The Moth. The S stands for Scheherazade, and if you know the story of Scheherazade, then you know that that's the perfect middle name for a storyteller of all of the, the, the tissue paper and all, because even when they break into the the boxes and everything, there's just tissue, there's paper everywhere, and there's, you know, they're just sort of losing their minds in this. But even in that, the things that the dad got, I mean, he got, what did we see him get? He got a bowling ball yeah. and a can of Simon Eyes, you know? And I also love that there's a, there's a moment in there where he looks up and says, what, I didn't get a tie this year? Like, there's this sort of... Huh. This is when I get my. This is when I get the tie. You know, it's like it's it's this kind of. You know, this is just who we are. Like the fact that they just eat. Like they get red cabbage. If you look at that, those meals. Every meal when they sit down, they get meatloaf, red cabbage, and mashed potatoes. <laughs> that's just that. That's what we're dealing with here. That's the money that we have. We we're gonna have meatloaf, red cabbage. There's only there's like three dinners in that movie. Two of them are meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and red cabbage. So here's the scene that I love. Right. So. So the little kid and I haven't seen this in a while, so I don't remember what point in the movie it is, but um, the kid is trying, you know, he's so excited to get this decoder ring. Yeah. And it finally comes to the mail. <laughs> and, and he's in the bathroom, you know, like bogarting the bathroom. Like people are trying to get in. And all he's trying to do is use his decoder ring for the first time to decode a message. And it turns out to be a crappy marketing uh, message from Ovaltine it's like right. by Ovaltine or something and that disillusionment that that's the other theme that that sort of realization it's almost a coming of age moment right there where you realize that it's just been the corporations who are trying to market this to me like it's not as cool not as cool as I thought um, there's there's just that feeling that it gives you and and I think you know one of the things as I was thinking about this is it's not a whole lot I can relate to, you know, this is about a kid in the Midwest in the forties, you know, growing up. It's, you know, I didn't, my parents were immigrants. I, I lived in hot climates. I had no idea what, you know, how to relate to this kid in, on so many levels, but the fact that you can relate on that level, that emotional level um, is what I think makes it a great movie. So, were you born cynical? 
<laughs> no, I want to have the hope, but this is one reason, you know, I want to have all those positive emotions, but, but one reason that really annoys me about many Christmas movies and Elf counts as one of these. It's a great movie, but I don't like it when Christmas movies rely on believing in Santa Claus as the Christmas spirit, because that's as cynical as you can get. We all know, sorry, kids. We all know Santa Claus, all the kids that that listen to Tatter. We all know Santa Claus doesn't exist. So what are you leaving me with at the end there? So you probably expect me to choose Die Hard as a man of a certain age, a certain generation, coming from where I come from. And you would be right. I think Die Hard is the best Christmas movie. That is Paul Bloom, my fellow Die Hard fan, and the Brooks and Suzanne Reagan Professor of Psychology and Cognitive Science at Yale University. I know this is controversial, but I am willing to defend this view. So fire away. What's your defense? Well, the standard, nobody denies Die Hard is a wonderful and superb movie. The, the, the debate is, is it a Christmas movie? Yeah. Of course, plainly, it, it takes place over Christmas, but I do not think that that's sufficient. That's not going to be my case. Um, the, the reason why it counts as a Christmas movie is sort of superficial and deep. The superficial reason is it has a lot of Christmas themes. They wear the, they wear the hats, it's around a Christmas party. The point about it being Christmas, they make a very big point about it. I think the deeper reason is the themes of Die Hard resonate what people believe to be the themes of Christmas. Um, a rejection of, uh, of, of financial value towards, towards, you know, and a focus on, on deeper goals. Family. There's a whole lot on family. Yeah. For forgiveness. Redemption. In addition to asking Paul about Die Hard, I also asked him about A Christmas Story. Is that the one where the kid gets his tongue stuck to a lamppost? Yeah, and uh, one of the refrains is, you'll shoot your eye out. Yeah. And, and actually, Pizarro, with whom I just spoke, he argued that uh, one of the things that makes it a great film is that it embodies one of the themes of Christmas, which is disappointment, which I thought was a really interesting point. <laughs> well, and perhaps that motivates you to go see the movie now. It does, although that, that seems a tongue, it's too visceral for me. It's like a horror movie. I, I, you know, I just imagine that, and this is awful getting, you know, getting trapped by your tongue on a freezing pole. So to me, that disqualifies it. But, um, but you know, each, each to their own. Um, the advantage I have over Pizarro is um, I myself am not Christian. That gives me the requisite distance to, uh, to judge uh, a, a Christmas movie. Just like, um, just like, you know, gay people can better judge the attractiveness of the opposite sex. Um, why, um, you know, why, why people who don't drink can, can judge the merits of various alcohol, the distance is required. And that gives me, this is probably why you invited me onto the podcast. Am I your, am I your, your Jew? But, but, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, this is why, this is why you can be confident you're right. Uh, well, you, you've seen right through me. That, that's the one reason I invited you on. You're, you're my token Jewish guest. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> but, you know, it's possible we agree because we're both right. We're, 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 we're two intelligent people with good taste. Um, hardly surprising we both got it right. Have you seen Die Hard? yippee Kaye, yeah. Uh, no, no. yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're not public radio, right? So we, not public radio. We can say whatever we want to, right? yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs>
That is Shannon Kaysen, another moth storyteller and host, and also host of Shannon Kaysen's Homemade Stories podcast. Some people consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie. Uh, some people don't. What about you? Christmas movie. That's a Christmas movie. All day long, that's a Christmas movie. There's controversy because some people say it's, it's nothing more than an adventure movie or a heist movie that just happens to be set at Christmas time. And so they say it's not enough to make it a Christmas movie, but I disagree. I disagree too. I mean, Christmas movies don't have to be dramas and they don't have to be uh, sentimental. Like you said, they could be action movies. They could be comedies. They could be, you know, whatever, whatever you want them to be. You know, I'm sure they got all kinds of Christmas movies. I, I was recently reading an essay uh, about Die Hard. It's an essay by David Breitenbeck at thefederalist.com which means I was probably taking it way too seriously. And uh, the, author's <laughs> argument, the, the author's argument was that Die Hard is fundamentally about the battle between love and generosity and self-sacrifice on the one hand, that is to say, the Christmas spirit, versus materialism on the other hand, embodied by Hans Gruber, uh, um, as well as the reporter who's doing all that he can to advance his career. I mean, it's a subtext, wow. but it's there, no? It's there, but could you not make that argument about a lot of movies? Okay. For example, Star Wars, Darth Vader is the Grinch, um, <laughs> Luke Skywalker is the Christmas spirit and all that's good in the world. I don't know, I feel like a man smarter than me could put an essay together that's pretty compelling. <laughs> well, maybe all along. <laughs> a maybe. man like you. <laughs> Maybe you've hit on something, Stuart. Maybe all these years we, we've had another Christmas movie right under our nose and we didn't realize it. I think there's two conditions that have to be met, which, and, and they, they're, they're necessary and, and sufficient. And one is the deeper themes. But the deeper themes aren't sufficient because if it, it, it could simply not bear on Christmas. It could be Star Wars. So there's the deeper aspects, but then there's also the fact it is revolving around Christmas. Yeah. It's revolving around a Christmas party. I, there's no snow, but much is made of this. It's in California. Um, but plainly, it, it's about Christmas. It's about family. It's about forgiveness and love and, you know, gunfights. But, but, but it, so, so, yes, it has the deeper themes, which many movies have. It's on Christmas, which also many movies have. But what makes it a Christmas movie is both. <laughs> Look, if you're an English major, you can make you can make anything about anything. Like I'm I'm a psychologist. Sort of as a psychologist, I focus on categorization. That's Dan Molden, a psychologist at Northwestern University. You can, you know, I, I we all have fuzzy categories. There is no like, you know, one true categorical definition. But I, unless you want to live in a world where roller skates are a vehicle, then Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Like, there's just, you have to really, really stretch the boundaries of categorization to call that a, a Christmas movie. There's, the Christmas is not in uh, any integral part of that, that movie. It's just the excuse to have him, like, fly to, to Los Angeles in the first place. They stitch in a few jokes. But that could have been a 4th of July barbecue. He, should, he could have been flying to L.A. for the 4th of July office party. And in fact, I would argue that if the line was not, ho, 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 I have a machine gun now, if it was, I have a machine gun now, welcome to Independence Day, that's a much superior line. Like, so there's the, like, not only is Christmas tangential, but I think it, it actually is a detriment to, to that movie. 
You make an interesting point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I saw a Christmas story. What? I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I, I think I saw Elf on an airplane. Okay. Um, I love Will Farrell. Will Farrell oh. gets, you know, my, my love of Will Farrell will make Elf second because I didn't see a Christmas story. Um, okay. But, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's um, I, 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 I think that there's a risk of sort of over-sentimentality and treacle when it comes to Christmas movies. Yep. And uh, Die Hard successfully avoids that problem. And so, um, so I think your best Christmas movie in the end is going to be a movie that doesn't immediately look like a Christmas movie. Okay, so personally, yep. my favorite, and it's pretty much is a, shows who I am, I guess. <laughs> Friday After Next is one of my favorites, or probably my favorite, uh, which is a Ice Cube in... in What's his name? Mike Epps movie. Is Chris Tucker in that? Nah, he wasn't in that. Chris Tucker only did the first one. He only did Friday. But then oh. after that, it uh, it discovered the other comedians. So Mike Epps was in the second one and third one. And then the third one was Cat Williams. That's when everybody got to learn who Cat Williams was. I still crack jokes based on that movie. It's just It was just a funny movie. Me and my friends, we still you know, use like phrases from the movie or quotes from the movie. But, uh, but that would probably be, you know, I like the darker stuff. So that's probably my, my favorite. I don't watch that with the daughter though. <laughs> so, so without, uh, spoiling it, what makes it dark? Well, it's about them trying to get rent. It's a comedy, you know, so like Bad Santa was a good one. That's a dark one. But uh, it's not really that dark. It's just about them trying to get Ren and somebody robbing them and they trying to find a way to make money. And it's more of a comedy. So it's not like a big plot to it, you know, but it's some funny scenes in it that just stand out for me because Cat Williams is hilarious. Mike Epps is one of my favorite comedians. I've always liked Ice Cube, you know, so it's kind of, you know, a good story for uh, for uh, for laughing, basically. <laughs> the same reason that people believe Die Hard is not a Christmas movie is the same reason why people believe Friday After Next is not a Christmas movie. If the overall concept of, of, of a Christmas movie is that at some point, you know, there's, there's, here are the elements. One, it's Christmas. There's a tree, there's light, there's something. Two, there's something that threatens Christmas. Um, be it Santa's not coming, be it you're a terrible person and won't celebrate Christmas, be it my wife is not being held hostage by this dude with a very odd German accent, whatever. And three, there's a resolution that saves Christmas. That is, those are the three hallmarks of any Christmas story. The primary one being that it happens during Christmas. Yeah. So Die Hard, to me, is a Christmas movie in the fact that it hits all three of those points. Yeah. And Friday After Next hits all three of those points. And A Christmas Story hits all three of those points. And Elf hits all three of those points. Like, it's... I don't know. I don't know why that's a debate. I think it's, a, I, it, but I think it stems from this concept of the saccharin. 
so you get more pass if you've got more saccharin. Yeah. So as you level up the, the, the sugar content, then all of a sudden it becomes more plausible that that's a Christmas movie, but I don't find that to be realistic. I, I could picture, though, if you're going <clears> to, <throat> and I love this word because it's, it's academia and I love academia. If you're going to add Die Hard to the Christmas movie canon, <laughs> then you open the door to <clears throat> other movies for like Friday After Next. Yeah. And I think that is, in the world of saccharin, saccharin for sugar's sake, that's the terror. The reason why there's an argument against Die Hard is because there's an argument for opening that door. And then what else now becomes canon? I, yeah, I, like, I, I understand how, how you want to live in a world where Die Hard is a Christmas movie because most Christmas movies are terrible. And so we all want to like sit down at Christmas and say, they're like, Oh, I get to watch this awesome movie and feel like seasonal. And it's, it's, you know, so I, you know, I get why, why that's the world you want to live in. I just, I can't say that that's the real world. D something else. And what is it? My favorite Christmas movie is The Snowman. It's about a half hour, 40 minute movie. Or it's not even a movie. It's more of an animation that's set to music. That's my Bates colleague in rhetoric, film, and screen studies, Stephanie Kelly Romano. There's yeah. no narration and no dialogue. So it's just a kind of whimsical children's story about a snowman that comes alive. What do you love about it? I love about it that it is a family tradition. And so on Christmas Eve, I always watch it with the boys. Mm -hmm. And there is this one song called Walking in the Air. And it's sung by, you know, a young boy with a choir kind of vibe and the kids and I have always made up different lyrics to the same kind of tune and cadence and so we would get really silly with it over Christmas time and I don't know it's just they even now that they're older they expect to watch it in terms of when we were talking about Christmas Eve plans they're like well we have to watch the snowman and we have to go look at Christmas lights. And so it's just part of that whole thing. And are your boys like 13 and 16? They are 14 and 16 now, which is crazy. So we've been, we've been watching this for probably almost 10 years now. Yeah. 10 years. And it is impressive that adolescent boys aren't too cool for it. They haven't aged out of it. I think that they do it to placate their mother <laughs> and they know how happy it makes me. And I think Christmas Eve to them has gotten to be more of an endurance event than, mm -hmm. uh, than, than something that they want. But yeah, there's still really good sports about it. Um, 
I think it's really a toss-up between a Christmas Vacation and Scrooged. That's Skylar Bear, a marine biologist, a storyteller, and currently a policy fellow with the U.S. Senate. Well, I love Christmas Vacation because it's about a dysfunctional family and all the things that go wrong uh, are just hilarious, all the slapstick stuff. Um, yeah. But then Scrooge is great because it has a great cast, and I've always loved that story. Uh, and I like the modern, well, the 1980s version of it. Yeah. So I guess those are ones that I've watched a lot with my family growing up. Uh-huh. partly why I like them so much. I would say that Bill Murray's Scrooge is perhaps the underrated Christmas movie champion. So why? It has, it, uh, <laughs> it has kind of everything you would want out of a Christmas movie. One, it's thematically about Christmas, unlike, say, Die Hard, which is about a bank robbery. It stars Bill Murray and it is uh, completely ridiculous. Like sort of the, if, you know, I, I want a ridiculous Christmas movie that is thematically on point and that doesn't actually like with repeated viewing just kind of make me want to run screaming like something like Elf. Elf is, Elf is cute. Uh, I have multiple children. They love Elf. I will watch Elf with them like once every 12 months, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold up, and neither does really a Christmas story. Uh, I have to confess, I've never seen Scrooged. Um, but I was talking to someone just the other day about it, and her contention was that it's a bit misogynistic, uh, in part because, like, as I understand it, at the end of the film, Bill Murray's character has been just an asshole to this woman throughout the entire film. Uh, at the end, he finally comes around, but um, like begs her to like drop what she's doing, even though it's really, really important and pro-social. I forget what the details were. You know it better than I. Uh, just because he wants her, he's finally come around, he wants her now. Is that wrong? That's not entirely wrong. Um, the, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's not an in yet accurate description of how things go down. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, there, there's certainly, it, it's certainly not, yeah, I, like, you know, we, we're, we're talking about Christmas movies, though. We're not talking about sort of, you know, what are the great, what are the best, what are the, you know, which Christmas movie has the best politics? Like, sort of, if you want to, if you want to make that argument, then, you no, know, I, I can't really de- defend Scrooge. Yeah, I don't think, like, I liked, I didn't care about the ending as much. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I think the original story is a little crazy right like scrooge suddenly everyone's like oh scrooge is great now that he's had this transformation even though we think he's crazy too um but what i really liked frankly are all the ghosts like the encounters of the ghosts and how they you know slap him around or run over him or trick him and like you know he's sort of getting a lot of what he deserves he is, in fact, Ebenezer Scrooge. So, he, like, expecting him to be like a, a nice guy is is it was really a stretch. Like, that's that's I think a clear defense of of that behavior, perhaps. But, but when Scrooge, um, when Scrooge is redeemed at the but, end, like he's not a bad. When when, when Scrooge is redeemed at the end in the original Christmas Carol, he's not a bad guy anymore. But even in his moment of redemption, it sounds as if Murray's character is still kind of an asshole. No. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, it, you, you, it, enlightenment is a process. You can't expect, like, you know, a short night with three ghosts to, like, get you all the way there. He does change quite profoundly um, in his defense, even if he doesn't quite get all the way there uh, from what we'd expect in a, a fully actualized and pro-social human being. D, something else. Do tell. Um, it is a 1970 musical version of a Christmas carol called Scrooge. Okay. Um, it stars Alistair Sims as, um, I think Alistair Sims plays Scrooge, and um, I can't think of the, Alec Guinness actually is the ghost of uh, Marley. Yeah. His portrayal of Jacob Marley is, Jacob Marley, within reason, in the original uh, Dickens' work, is attempting to spare Scrooge from the fate that he, that that has befallen him. I'm going to come find you. We're going to do this ghost thing so you don't have to carry around all these padlocks and keys and boxes and chains that I have to carry. That's the least I'm going to try to do for the world. You're one of the few people I can help. Alec Guinness's Marley is more realistic about who I think about who Scrooge actually is. Um, there's even a line where he says, um, he does, he says, speak comfort to me, Jacob. And he, and in the, in the original work, the line is, I have none to give, but Alex Guinness character says, uh, it's, you know, Good news is brought by different kinds of spirits than I to different kinds of men than you. You know, that's like an epiphany. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like I'm not the guy they send to give good news, and you're not the guy that gets good news. Yeah. So now that we both establish who we are and where we are, let's try to help you. <laughs> I can't help myself at all. I'm going to try one time to help you, but I'm also really resigned to the idea that if I can't help you, you just can't be helped, and I'm going to get on with my time in hell as you will as well. <laughs> well, one of the things that I am, that often leaves me disenchanted with Christmas movies is their schmaltzy, saccharine, mm. sappy character. This sounds yes. different from that. Yes. It's um, how Scrooge gets to be the way he is and why his heart is the way it is, is, a little more worked out. There's a little more time to get into it because the Christmas Carol as an original piece wasn't that long. So delving into Scrooge's past, I mean, we go to his past going through Christmases and whatnot and seeing it through the ghost, but this gives you a little bit more nuanced about how he came to believe that money was more important than anything else. Um, and I like the fact that his darkness, his, inability his his thing where he doesn't like people the his whole character is solid it's solid like this is why he's the way he is this is who he is and it's going to take this level of work it's going to take these three ghosts it's going to take this much time it's going to take showing him his own headstone to break him out of that space and it keeps it from being sugary yeah. You you are not rooting for Scrooge at any point in the movie until it kind of gets to the end. 
And even then, having watched him, you don't you don't one hundred percent believe it. Like as it ends, you're still like this, this dude, like the kind of dude that'll slip. Yeah. You know, and I, which is why I'm not a fan of the the Disney Jim Carrey uh, animated version. Yeah. That's supposed to stick. It and that one really holds true to the text, and I'm not a fan of that one. I think that Scrooge needs more background so that you understand. Because if you if you look at him as just a miser who hates Christmas, and you like Christmas, you don't see yourself reflected in him, and therefore he has no relevance. But once you broaden him out, there's a there are things within Scrooge that we all do. Yeah. And then you see it. You you can't see it if he's a shortened character, or he's you know he's funny or he's sweet or whatever. Like you said, you know it gets to be saccharine. When you have those things with him, you don't get a chance to see yourself reflected in him or a little bit of him reflected in you, and therefore the whole purpose of the work starts to slide. You know the Northwestern psychologist uh, Dan McAdams who studies narrative. Yeah. So so he's drawn this distinction. Maybe you're familiar with it between. Uh, two kinds of stories. Uh, uh, redemption stories where things go from bad to better or bad to good. And then contamination stories where things go from good uh, to worse. Is it is it safe to say that in your um, identification of disappointment as a core theme of Christmas movies that you think that the quintessential Christ- Christmas movie is or at least it has within it contamination narratives you know that's a really good question i hadn't thought of it that way and i i think that one of the reasons for my perhaps cynical attitude is because the contamination will happen like yeah. it's going to happen and and maybe one of the ways of saying what i was saying about the the christmas movies that that rely on a but santa is real trope yeah are the fact that they're just postponing the contamination by yeah. giving us a false narrative. Even the, you'll poke your eye out or you'll shoot your eye out. Even that is a redemption story. Right? In order for it to be, of course it is because they learn they redeem themselves, right? This whole notion of triumph or transformation through tragedy. And so there's the whole disappointment, but then he, reconciles right so there's some sort of personal at least emotional triumph over the negativity in order for it to be um a contamination story i think it would have to be like post-apocalyptic you're talking like the road or the walking dead or he gets or like, then, the or ralphie ralphie gets cancer and dies yeah and even that, the story would still have his mother seeing the goodness and starting a charity or some ridiculousness so that there'd still be redemption. Like, I don't know, even in contamination, like, I don't know that I buy the contamination versus redemption because it seems to me that even in contamination stories, there is some saving grace or something that is a lesson that allows it to be redemptive. You know, there's also just a little bit of beauty to the misery of the human condition when you see, like, his dad is obsessed with that shitty lamp. There is a sort of love that that is that comes from family, no matter how much how how annoying they are. Yeah, it makes me also resist calling that a true contamination story. It's 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 more like a 
you know, in some ways it's remember what's important about Christmas. It's certainly not all of the things that we're told Christmas is supposed to be. It's yeah. more like being together despite all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, for me, when I think of the ending of that, where they are together as a family at a Chinese restaurant because the dogs ate the turkey, it's like, <laughs> it's not at all the Christmas they expected. So it's it's definitely, there There has been some disappointment, and yet they cling together. They embrace right. each other. And there's the theme, right? Because, you know. That's that's what Christmas, I think, ought to be about, and probably what many holidays ought to be about. Um, and there is, there's, there's no reason to need to rely. You know, I I was tempted to to say that It's a Wonderful Life was one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies, if not the great Christmas movie. But as I thought about it, I that this is just again postponing the inevitable disappointment. <laughs> this is it's too saccharine it's not they're nice stories but but a true christmas movie ought to illustrate the themes that the realistic themes about what these holidays are supposed to mean and not to get too serious about it all but weirdly a christmas story does that better to me than than say it's a wonderful life or elf or any of the other sort of super cheery holiday movies where everything is perfect and in some yeah. ways maybe die hard is a, <laughs> a close second it's not that it's not that that's what my christmases are like but <laughs> at least those themes and the themes can emerge despite all of the, the bad stuff then maybe that's that's the better christmas movie in my opinion yeah although to be clear i so having having just watch Die Hard, I don't see, I mean, there's disappointment early, but it's fundamentally a redemption story. I mean, things are really, really shitty. You don't know if things are going to turn out well, but then all the bad guys die. Uh, and Al, who has struggled uh, after uh, killing a kid, <coughs> struggles to, to ever use his weapon again. He saves the day at the very end. And John and um, and Holly McLean ride off uh, toward the dawn in the limo- in the limousine. I mean, I, do you see disappointment as at the core of that at all? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm confusing the the negative imagery and the violence for thematic thematic negativity. And I think that you're right that it's not thematic ne- negativity. It is it is redemption. It's just a, a maybe maybe just less saccharine a redemption story oh yeah as unrealistic (laughs) um uh but but it is it's not so it's not so positive as as these other movies that I, i think i've gotten to the core of what might might be bothering me about some of these christmas movies is that you'll immediately get a contrast effect with reality when yeah. you are presented with the the positivity that they're trying to give you, like there's nothing but disappointment afterwards. And a good redemption story shouldn't give you disappointment with reality. It should it should embiggen you, as the Simpsons say, um, <laughs> <laughs> embiggen the spirit.
That's it for Tatter, the very special Christmas episode. I want to thank Scott Bear, Paul Bloom, Shannon Kaysen, Stuart Flaherty, Stephanie Kelly Romano, Dan Molden, David Pizarro, and Dame Wilburn for taking the time to talk with me. I am very lucky to have friends who do interesting things and who are generous enough with their time to share a bit with me and thus with you. For more information about each of them, go to tatter.fireside.fm, where I will include links. If you want to provide feedback on this or any other episode of Tatter, use Twitter. You can make a mention, and the handle is at tatter underscore rags. You can also provide feedback by posting a review to iTunes. In any case, thanks for listening, have a wonderful holiday season, and be well. (laughs) 